Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Now you are what you eat, or so the saying goes. So what does that mean? Do we really need to just eat salads, never eat meat, never eat cheese or dairy to be able to be healthy? Well, that's not necessarily the case, and for a lot of folks, may not be realistic. Now, a few months ago, we had a show on talking about different aspects of health, and I had a wonderful email that came from the Big Island from Vivian Aronowitz, who said, how come we don't talk a little bit more about nutrition and how knowing what to eat and eating the right things can actually help to prevent certain medical problems and in some cases, reverse disease? Well, that's definitely true. And right now, we actually have Vivian on the line calling in from the Big Island, along with our local guest, Kimberly Oshita. Both are registered dietitians at Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about how we can modify what we eat, particularly around this holiday season, what to do if we fell off the diet wagon, and what would be some good ways that we could improve ourselves as the new year comes along. Vivian, welcome to The Body Show. Thank you very much. Kimberly, welcome. You're here in studio. Thanks. It's great to be here. Now, tell me, ladies, we'll start with you, Vivian. You know, we hear that phrase, you are what you eat, and we've talked here on the show about, you know, the gut microbiome, all the different bacteria in our colon, how that comes from natural sources and comes from what we eat and how we digest foods. Would you say that statement is pretty true? You are what you eat? Yes, I definitely would say so, because all that we eat is broken down, and that's what we're made of. So it is uh, definitely a true statement. And uh, talking about the gut microbiome, what we eat also helps to feed those bacteria, and we really want to feed the good bacteria to keep us healthy. Now, Kimberly, it's become much more of a recent kind of phenomena that, you know, conventional medicine has started to look at what bacteria are in the gut and how we can keep a healthy source of these bacteria. And, you know, Vivian just brought up a really good point. Some of the foods we eat actually feed those gut Mm -hmm. bacteria. What is the definition of probiotics and prebiotics and how does that relate to what we eat? So the probiotics are something, um, they're bacteria in our gut, and the prebiotics are um, the things that can feed the probiotics. So can I just go buy some of these things, or does it have to come from my food? So they do have drinks and supplements and things like that. Unfortunately, as it stands now, there's not a whole lot of regulation going on with all of the supplements. Some of them are. Um, And so sometimes it can be a little bit risky. It can be a little bit expensive. Um, So we do encourage trying to get the whole food sources, such as fiber, um, which can definitely help your gut health. So what does fiber do to my gut? So some fiber um, we aren't able to digest or absorb. And so it sits in our gut and it feeds the little bacteria living there. And it can help populate certain kinds of bacteria that can be beneficial for us. So fiber is a prebiotic. Mm-hmm. All right. Vivian, I've got all these bacteria in my gut. What can I do to help support them? And how do I know if I have the right ones? Well, the main thing to do is to eat the right foods to help support the good bacteria. If one is having a lot of gut issues, you, you could get a stool test and see what your bacteria signature is. 
but for most folks, eating the kinds of foods that are going to support the good bacteria, like Kim was saying, foods with um, different kinds of fiber, and uh, those fibers will help the gut bacteria and also help us in many other ways as well. And then eating some fermented foods might be helpful to help populate your gut with the right foods. So what kind right of bacteria? What would be a fermented food? Kimchi. Um, they also have tempeh, which is fermented soybeans. Like sauerkraut. Is that mm-hmm, fermented right. something? Mm-hmm. Okay. So fermented foods, fiber foods, these things would be good. Is there a I'm I'm curious, Vivian or Kimberly, either one of you. Is there a rationale for figuring out what your gut microbiome signature is? Could you maybe find out what bacteria you're missing and then kind of get more of those? I believe um, the stool testing that Vivian was talking about, you can get a sample. You can send for a sample kit, and I think it's on the AmericanGutProject.org, or, um, and they'll test your stool sample, see, um, differentiate the bacteria, because certain kinds of bacteria are linked to chronic, certain chronic diseases like diabetes, obesity, things like that. So you could actually find out if you have those particular bacteria in the gut. What if you do? Can you just go kill them? Can you get rid of them? Will that help you? Um, well, I think they do have fecal, they do um, fecal implantation. Um, that sounds about as good as, <laughs> yes. as, good as you called it. I think, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think that really, you know, conventional medicine really has moved forward looking at the gut microbiome because the overuse of antibiotics has led to resistant bacteria, has led to killing the good guys and the bad guys. And in fact, there's a particular bacteria, Clostridium difficile, or C. diff, which is really difficult to get rid of. And that's where the whole idea of fecal transplants came about. People who had recurrent infections with this bacteria, it just wreaked havoc in their body. They just couldn't absorb any nutrients. They were having chronic diarrhea problems. And despite all of the antibiotics or medicines we know of, the only way to truly cure them started to be fecal transplants. It's not done often, but you know what? It actually is curative if you have to go to that extent. I think they did a, did a study a couple of months ago of an Amazon tribe where they had a graduate student, and I'm not quite sure how he got this job, but he had to go around to different villages and get stool samples from tribesmen. And he actually found that they have like 100 times the numbers of bacteria in their stool than anyone else. But they also have a much lower rate of chronic diseases mm-hmm. like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a connection. Maybe we really are what we eat, which just scares me. So let's talk about the holidays. You know, Christmas is later. It's actually coming this coming week. And lots of people want to go to parties and they want to go and enjoy themselves. Vivian, I'm sure you've gone to parties over there on the Big Island. What do you do when you're faced with going to an event where there's delicious looking food that might not be the healthiest? What do you do? Well, I think the first thing you want to do is really plan ahead. You want to think about what you're going to do before you get in that situation. And if this has been a problem for you, which it is for a lot of people, to kind of rehearse uh, what, what your plan is. Like, I'm going to walk into the room, I'm going to look around, I'm going to scan what there is, and I'm going to go for just a few select items that I really, really want. 
So I tell people when you go to the supermarket, you do not buy everything in the whole market. Well, if you you're hungry, you do, Vivian. That could be a problem. Don't go food shopping when you're hungry. Okay. Exactly. So maybe should you not go to a party hungry? Should you, like, pre-eat? I mean, you know, sometimes I wonder if you know that you're going to go to a party and maybe you could have a big salad beforehand or have something that you know is a little healthier so you don't go there starving and, like, hit the desserts first. That sounds like a great plan. If you know that there's not likely to be healthy food. If it is a potluck, I always encourage people to bring some vegetables and certainly something that you know you can eat and then you can share that healthy food with other people. And definitely not going starving is a very good strategy because then you're more able to have control. And to use a small plate, so get a dessert side plate and then fill that up. And I always tell people don't Make a volcano, since we're on the big island, most people here know. Don't make a volcano of food. I love that, Vivian. Don't make a volcano of food, okay? Yeah. Single layer only, right? Right. And then you have what you want of the small plate, and then hopefully you can get a big plate of some salad or some other vegetable dishes that can help fill you up. And you also have to think about beverages. Because that's really important. People can get a lot of calories from beverages. So, again, planning ahead. How many drinks am I going to have? What am I going to have? And you limit yourself maybe after the two and then drink sparkling water. You can um, get a lot of infused waters these days. Um, A lot of places are having those with water that uh, has slices of uh, fruit in them or mint, cucumber, things like that. Hopefully those would be available or just simply drink water, sparkling water, feels a little more festive to a lot of people. All right. So, Kimberly, I don't know if if you're much of a drinker. I'm not much of an alcohol drinker. I would be scared of my behavior if I was. But that being said, what is the average amount of calories in some of the drinks that people have during the holidays? Like, I don't know what's in eggnog. I don't think I like it. But if people were having drinks like that or even just, you know wine or other sorts of common beverages, could you really wind up drinking thousands of calories and not even know it? It's it's quite possible. And then they do say that an extra, say, 100 calories a day, every day, of course, um, could lead to an extra 10 pounds of weight gain over the course of a year. Um, so like a five-ounce glass of wine has maybe about 150 calories or so. Some of those drinks, depending what they put in there, sweeteners and things like that, can have a lot more, around 300, 500 calories. So like strawberry daiquiris, pina coladas. Right. You think it's just a little bit of sugar. Uh-uh. And it goes down so fast. <laughs> and that's why I don't drink them, because I could be scary. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what happens if you blow it, Kim? Let's say you went to a party and you just you just overate. You created Vivian's volcano of food. You went back more than once. You had a couple of drinks. What should you do after that? Presumably you went home safely and you went to sleep because your body was digesting all this food. How can you reverse the effects of that? Is there any way that you can you can help your body the next day to help mm-hmm. you digest this or maybe not cause these sugar spikes or whatever else could happen? So um, 
Well, if it was early in the day and you went to an event and kind of blew it, maybe getting some exercise if you're still able to walk. <laughs> okay, apparently <laughs> you had some wild parties. <laughs> I'm presuming you're able to walk, but okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but the next day, just get back on track. You know, don't feel bad about it and don't use it as some kind of reason to, oh, I just blew it. I'm just going to... Keep um, on blowing right, it. Right, right. So just get back on track. Do your best. It's not an absolute kind of thing. Um there's always room for improvement, but at the same time, you know, if it's one day, it's not a big deal. All right, so now it's time to depress me. Vivian, if you're walking yes. for a mile, how many calories are you actually burning? Well, it, it really depends on um, your size, your body size, and um, On so average. On. Yeah. Let's just pretend an average-sized person, because, you know... We all think when we go to the gym, I'm going to walk a mile. That's going to burn a thousand calories, and right. then we look at the treadmill and go, "Seriously, right. is that it? I might have eaten that for lunch." Yeah. So, how much would it, you really, for an average person, how many calories are you burning on a treadmill or like walking around outside? It's about 107 calories for a mile. 107 calories. Yeah. So, if you drank your wine and you decided to go for an after dinner walk. You better be going a mile if you're trying to counteract that. Right, right. It is usually way more than people expect. So another strategy, if you are planning to go to a party and eat a lot, is to try to bank your calories ahead of time. It's like having a savings account where you only spend what, you, what you've already earned or banked. So how do I bank some extra calories so I can have some chocolate? Tell me how to bank my calories. Exercising earlier in the day. Okay. Um, yeah. And then maybe thinking about what you are eating early in the day, uh, having lighter meals so that you haven't consumed all your day's need um, early in the day and you have some of those calories left over. So but here's my going- problem. If I eat light early in the day, I'm going to the party hungry. And we right. just talked about how that could be a bad plan. Right. But you can still eat food, but just make sure you, the food that you're eating is lighter. So having the salad before you go to the party, you, you can certainly eat a lot of high-fiber foods. So going back to the point of the fiber, foods that are high in fiber are going to help fill you up, and those veggies have lots of fiber in them, and they're very low in calories. So um, they're going to be helpful on many fronts. Okay, so have a lot of vegetables, go to your party, you won't be that hungry, but then if you do overindulge, at least you didn't have like burger and fries for lunch and eggs and bacon for breakfast, and now you're having something rich for dinner. Okay. Now, Kimberly, let's talk about substitutions. Mm -hmm. What are some things that I could put in foods that I cook or use as a substitute that would make the foods that you might bring to a party or see at a party a little healthier? Um, Going with the idea of the holidays, I think there is a lot of centering around the idea of comfort foods. Um, And what some people might not realize is that a lot of soups with beans in them can also have a comforting sort of feel to that. So bringing in like bean soups, lentil soups, or stews um, can actually be a healthy thing to bring because you're getting, again, that fiber, you're getting some protein. Um, Some other substitutes for eggs, um, you can use ground flaxseed, and if you soak it in water, 
um, leave, let it sit for maybe 15 minutes. It turns into the same consistency as an egg, and you can use that in baking products or um, as pudding for thickeners. So I've done tofu with some flax egg and then berries in it. So you can really make tasty desserts without putting in a whole lot of high cholesterol. Right. Mm-hmm. And people are not going to say, ooh, Kimberly brought that weird tofu flaxseed stuff. Hopefully She's not. not invited <laughs> next year. They're still going to let you come to the party. Okay. And so if you, were, if you were doing something like this for a party, you said you could use ground flaxseed instead of eggs. Mm-hmm. So you could put that in whatever you're baking, brownies cookies, or cookies or right. something. Is, could you change what you're bringing, like sometimes people think, okay, I'll bring dessert and it has to be chocolate. Certain varieties of chocolate are healthier than others. Bittersweet or dark chocolate might have more health properties than would milk chocolate. Right. So you could kind of make a dessert based on that? You can make, yeah, use more dark dark chocolate and then at least have some of the antioxidants. It wouldn't be as sweet. Okay. Um, Some other things too, um, Cauliflower mash instead of mashed potatoes. Yeah, I got to say, that's actually really good. I've had it, and I was totally impressed. Yeah. I thought it was mashed potatoes. Yeah, or even people who aren't, who aren't convinced yet, you can kind of sneak some of it in and blend it to make it half-half at least. And you know they figured you out if you're not invited next year. <laughs> right. Okay. So some ways you can make it healthy. Vivian, when you're cooking things, is there any substitute you come up with? Well, using uh, a lot of fruit in dessert would be better. Like I was just thinking as you uh, and Kim were talking that I used to make a kind of trifle, which is uh, an English dessert, but instead of putting a lot of uh, cake and high-calorie kind of pudding, I I roasted pears and um, cut up the pears and then layered berries. And it it looks really good and quite decadent, but it actually can be very low calorie. You can use tofu again to make um, the pudding part. And um, you can also make a pudding out of chia seeds, which is another great thickener and has tremendous amount of fiber. And to get chia to become pudding consistency, use uh, a quarter cup of chia with one cup of liquid. And the lowest calorie liquid outside of water would be uh, plain almond milk and that's 30 calories a cup. And so you could make a pudding out of that and then layer that with some uh, roasted fruit like the apples or pears or um, add some berries as well and, and layer that. And, and that would be you know, quite decadent looking, but actually would be extremely healthy. All right, Vivian, I'm coming to your house. For, uh, for dessert that looks decadent but is healthy. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. We are talking today with Kimberly Oshita and Vivian Aronowitz. They're both registered dietitians at Kaiser Permanente, and we're learning about some healthy tips for how to handle holiday parties. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what is a plant-based diet? How can this help people with a variety of different medical conditions? And are there certain medical diseases that can actually be reversed if you follow such a really good healthy diet, maybe stricter than you think, but it actually could help quite a bit in the long run. Now, as always, our show is your show. You can join us at any time, 941-3689, toll-free Neighbor Islands 877-941-3689. And if you have a good party tip, 
which is how to make something delicious and sneak in some health food while you're doing it, we would love to hear from you. It's holiday time, so let's all stay a little healthy. And if not, get depressed about how few calories we really burn when we're out there taking our walk. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I'm Jonathan Parrish, Executive Director of the Hawaii Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, the obvious connection is classical music, but uh, the Hawaii Public Radio audience is obviously an audience that likes to be informed and likes to be entertained, and we think that's our audience too. It's great to be able to support such a worthwhile service while getting the word out about what we do. Hawaii Public Radio Underwriting. Your message heard here. Learn more at hawaiipublicradio.org. Charlotte, North Carolina ranks near the bottom in economic mobility in this country. A lot of that is about the way the city is designed, literally. Segregation is very much a part of how our city is laid out. I'm Kai Rizdahl. How Goodwill is trying to close the mobility gap. We'll have that story for you and the rest of the day's business news, of course, next time on Marketplace. This evening at 6, right after The Body Show. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting, Sacred Hearts Academy, and Urgent Care Hawaii. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Here having a merry holiday season, no matter what holiday you happen to celebrate, there's going to be a party and there's going to be some food there. And if you're like me, you're going to want to eat it. So how can we do so and yet maintain our health? And what are some things that we could look for maybe in the next year or so, some things that could really help us to change our diet and move in a healthier direction? One of the things that people talk about a lot is the Ornish diet. It's a plant-based Mediterranean-style diet. What can that do? How does that help people's health? And how hard is it really? Well, we've got some guests here. I have in the studio Kimberly Oshita and on the phone from the Big Island, Vivian Aronowitz. They're both registered dietitians at Kaiser Permanente. And we're going to talk a little bit about what is this plant-based diet and how many plants do I really have to eat? Vivian, tell me, plant-based diet, how would you describe it? Am I just eating plants all the time? Can I have a nut? Oh, yes. Nuts are definitely a part of plant-based eating. Um, the term plant-based is where you put your focus. Uh, and so you're, you're getting vegetables, you're getting beans and, and other legumes, you're getting nuts, you're getting whole grains. There are lots of different grains that one can eat. And, um, and that's kind of the base of your diet. And you're getting so much health, it is really food as medicine. Well, and there's a lot of a lot of research behind the Ornish diet. Kimberly, I'm curious. It's been a big push for the last couple of years. We now have Ornish centers here on Oahu, and I know that they're looking at trying to establish similar centers on our neighbor islands. The Ornish diet is a particular version of a plant-based diet. What exactly does that include that you hear about it reversing heart disease and reversing blockages and all of these great things? Tell me more about it. So the Ornish, so there's a plant-based diet, a whole foods plant-based diet, and there's an Ornish diet, and they're similar but a little bit different. So the Ornish diet, because it's intended to reverse certain chronic conditions, is a little more strict in some ways in that 
you eliminate all the oils. Um, I believe you also limit some of the nuts, and they do allow for low-fat dairy in the Ornish. Okay, so so Ornish, no oil, minimal the nuts, yes, low-fat dairy. Mm-hmm. Tell me about a plant-based diet. A plant-based diet is a little bit different in that um, we maximize the plant foods, but we're limiting the animal-derived foods, which would include the dairy. Um, for people who aren't reversing, needing to reverse their chronic conditions, we're a little bit more flexible on what we allow for the nuts and seeds, the healthy fats, um, the avocados. So who should be, other than everybody, which mm-hmm. m- might be the best answer, but what particular medical conditions should someone really be looking at a plant-based diet? If they have what medical problems, should they really be looking at this carefully? So this kind of diet affects the health of the lining of the blood vessels. And so if you imagine where we have blood vessels in our body, it's a lot of places. Like everywhere. Right? (laughs) So a lot of the diseases that are involved with this, so hypertension, diabetes, heart disease. um, They're also finding some research about Alzheimer's and dementia because that affects the blood flow to the brain. Um, All of these things, as well as um, they're also finding the plant-based diet. There's some research now that suggests that it can reverse erectile dysfunction and diabetic neuropathy as well. Okay, so now I just want to go binge on a bunch of plants. <laughs> Vivian, are there certain types of salads that are better than others? You know, the other day I was I was at a at an event and somebody said, Oh look, there's Caesar salad. I went, Oh, that's great. But didn't I hear that romaine lettuce isn't really all that health healthy and nutritious? Should I just not have as much? But that was the only lettuce, so I'm like, okay, I'll eat it. Tell me about the different types of plants and which ones are healthiest. Right. Well, one of the um, strategies that I recommend for people is to use an app which um, was produced by Dr. Greger, G-R-E-G-E-R, Dr. Greger's Daily Dozen. And it's a free app, and on there he lists um, 10 foods plus beverages and exercise would be the 11th and 12th. But out of the 10, there are actually five vegetable servings. And he breaks those down into the cruciferous vegetables, which include the arugula, bok choy, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, collard greens, kale, and other kinds of greens, and watercress. And those, you want to make sure you get some of those every day. So really the the darker leafy, uh, darker colored vegetables um, tend to be pretty good. Of course, cauliflower, which we talked about earlier, is extremely healthy too. And then um, he also has um, two servings a day of greens. So that, again, would include some of those that I just mentioned, the collard greens, arugula beet greens, um, the mescaline, which is the young greens that we often buy, those mixes, spinach, Swiss chard, etc. And those, um, two servings a day of those, and then another two servings of uh, of other vegetables as well. So that's five altogether, and that can include your um, you know, carrots and um, green beans, etc. Um, the more deeply colored the vegetable, usually the more nutrition. So if you're going to choose cabbage, try to go for the purple cabbage versus the, the, the pale green cabbage, for instance. So I noticed that you mentioned nothing about that romaine lettuce. Is that really just a stomach filler? Well, the outer leaves are actually darker green 
And True. so those are going to be more beneficial. Unfortunately, a lot of times when um, those lettuces are cleaned and prepped, they take the outer ones and the paler ones are, are left. But um, certainly, if there isn't a choice, I would definitely eat uh, the romaine. But if there was another choice, probably Go choose for the darker. Yes. Yeah, because that, that darker leaf isn't as crunchy. You know, you get those like crunchy parts of the lettuce and you're like, oh, I'm crunching. My mouth feels satisfied. Okay. But if there's something else, probably add to something else. Okay. Right. Mix them together. Mix them together. Find a way. So the mixed greens, you know, that mixed green that you can find in various, you can find it at Costco, you can find it at your local grocery store. That kind of has some dark purpley leaves, has some green leaves. Like that would be a good choice for salad. Correct. Get some spinach in there. That might help as well. Right. And especially if you can get it local, locally sourced, that would be much better because the fresher, the, the more nutritious, because uh, the ones that come from the mainland are going to be a few weeks out from when they were picked. And, of course, we always want to support our local farmers. And then making sure you wash your produce really well. And that's something I emphasize with all my patients, especially on the big island, because um, you know, we do have some, some bugs here that we need to be cautious about. But running water is the best way to um, wash your, your produce, just a lot of running water. Okay, so there's, you know, luckily there's farmer's markets everywhere, and you can really find some great produce locally grown, locally sold, support your local farmers. We're so lucky because we do have a lot of farmer's markets. I mean, I'm certain they have some on the Big Island. I know they do in Maui. I know they do in Kauai. I know we do on Oahu. And so really, if you want to get fresh produce from local growers, there's really no excuse. There is a way to find that. So that's definitely a possibility. Now, Kimberly, tell me, if somebody said, okay, next year, I'm really going to clean up my diet, but I'm a little afraid. Because I don't want to go from eating what I do to restricting all of it and then just just crashing on this plan after a week. What would be some simple ways that people could incorporate more of the vegetables and a plant-based diet into their, into their everyday life? Uh, my tips would be first to just start where you are, um, wherever that may be. Um, and I tell my patients anything that you can do to get closer to these recommendations would be an improvement and that would help. Um, so for some people, it might mean aiming to make half their plate vegetables or mostly leafy greens like Vivian mentioned. Um, for some people, if they know they, they have a particular meal that they don't do well with, then it could be working on that one meal. Or so maybe, like if you know you're a disaster at dinner, mm-hmm. you don't eat well, you know you're going to go get something that's not good for you, let's focus on dinner as your first meal to try and clean up a little bit. Right, right. So... For the diabetic patients I see, um, sometimes they're good for breakfast, they're good for lunch, but their blood sugar is still really high. And then so I tell them, try testing your blood sugar after dinner so that they know they're going to be checking after dinner. So that helps to kind of motivate them. Um, It could also mean just picking a meal or a day where you're going to go plant-based. So like meatless Mondays. Right. Mm -hmm. And or, you know, I'm going to have salads for lunch three days a week. Right. So you could really just start small. Yeah, start small. Um, start with the things that you already don't eat that often or that you won't miss. Start by eliminating those things if you know that those things um, 
aren't good for you, um, certain processed foods or things like that. Um, and then just kind of go from there. As you gain more confidence, you can add in more things. So I had one, one uh, individual tell me that their New Year's resolution is to get food that requires that they get out of their car. <laughs> I think what they're trying to say is no drive throughs Right. <laughs> and I said, but what happens if you park in the lot at McDonald's or Burger King? And they're like, well, if I had to get out of my car, that is my first step. That's a I'm start. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's a start. That's better than it could be. So, okay, so little steps. And then to celebrate that in some way so that you feel like, hey, I'm not just restricting myself. I'm really trying to help focus on doing something healthier and not beat myself up over it if you wind up in the drive-thru. Right, right. So just get back on track. Yeah. So let's talk about some particular medical problems that people may have where the diet gets a little complicated. Vivian, let's talk about gout. Gout is something that's unfortunately kind of common, and we see it a lot here in the islands. What are some of our foods, if we get gout, that we really have to be careful with or maybe restrict or be really selective about how much of that you include in the diet? Well, first of all, eliminating alcohol, if you can, because that that is a big trigger. And also, um, high fructose corn syrup can, can also be a problem for some people. And so when you eliminate those foods that contain that product, that's getting rid of a lot of foods that are undesirable. And then, of course, the fatty meats and even fish, large amounts of protein uh, will, uh, contains a lot of uric acid, um, and so that's going to be um, a problem for you because that, that will affect your level. The purines increase your uric acid level. So you really have to cut down on, on the animal protein products. And, and those are pretty inflammatory for a lot of other conditions as well. So getting back to the concept of at least half your plate being vegetables, a quarter the protein, and a quarter some uh, healthy starchy vegetables or whole whole grains would be a way to start reducing portion to a more reasonable size. Well, and are there any things that you can add if you have gout? Is there something you can add to your diet that would help? Well, I believe that the vegetables, again, are going to be anti-inflammatory. It's, it's a kind of inflammatory condition. And there are a few vegetables that some people say are a trigger for them, like asparagus and some of the dried beans. However, I think if the other inflammatory foods are eliminated, you might be able to tolerate those. So, Kimberly, I hear a lot about dark cherries, berries, tart cherry juice. These are some things that might help to add to the diet of somebody who might be having gout, in addition to the vegetables Vivian's talking about. Because you're right, there are certain vegetables that could promote that inflammatory response, but there's also some that could actually modify that. And you're right with making sure that half the plate is vegetables. Is there any thought that some of these other things that people could add could help? Have you heard of those before? Yeah, it's possible um, for the tart tart cherries or tart cherry juice. Um, for some p- people, it helps. The thing about gout is that it's really individual in terms of what the triggers are, um, how foods affect them. So some, some people it helps a lot, and some people don't really notice any difference. 
So it's really based on the person and their own response. From what I've seen, yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a genetic condition. Mm-hmm. So that if there's family members who have gout and you know that, they, that they've gotten it, you might want to be careful with your diet to make sure that you don't get it too. Because it can run in families. It's actually, there are some concerns about it being a deficiency of certain enzymes. And, you know, for anybody who's had gout, you never want that again. They're very motivated patients. They are very <laughs> motivated because they know how much pain it causes. Right. Very motivated. Okay, let's talk, Vivian, let's talk about diabetes. You know, some of the things that we mentioned to diabetes, to folks who have this condition, it makes them seem like they can never eat a starch again. Are there healthy starches that someone with diabetes can eat? I find it kind of ironic that looking at sweet potatoes is actually better than, like, regular potatoes. What are some of the vegetables and starches that people with diabetes could eat? Well, I I agree that the sweet potato uh, has... Uh, lower glycemic load to it, so that means it's going to raise your blood sugar less. And, of course, um, if you do eat white potato or red potatoes, keep the skin on, and that's going to help. And also for um, a lot of the traditional starches that are eaten in Hawaii and by some of the other groups um, in the Pacific, um, like the breadfruit, and uh, certainly taro um, can totally be acceptable in, in a diabetic diet. So because they have those resistant starches that we were talking about earlier that um, slow the absorption of the sugars and um, into your bloodstream in a way that your body can handle it better than something that is highly processed and is going to enter your bloodstream very quickly. And, again, they are going to be helping those good bacteria that have uh, profound effects. That's right. we got to feed... Sure, we got to feed the good bacteria to help our body. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio. We are talking today about healthy dietary habits that people can consider now, holiday eating, pre-party planning, but also what are some things that they can do to improve their health throughout, hopefully, what will be a great year of 2017. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk more with Kimberly Oshita and Vivian Aronowitz, registered dietitians from Kaiser Permanente. Vivian's calling in from the Big Island. Kimberly's right here in the studio. If you have some great ideas or you found something that helps your particular medical condition, helps you work on your diet, helps you figure out how you can handle those parties, or maybe you have a delicious dessert that has an unusual ingredient that you kind of slipped in there and nobody noticed, and it made it healthier than you thought. You can always join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We'll be right back. Stay with us. It's that most wonderful time of the year. Holiday tunes from some of the top pianists in jazz. I'm Felix Contreras, and this year it's all about family with the father-daughter duo of Bethany and Willie Pickens and a couple's conversation with Rini Rosnes and Bill Sharlop all on stage at the Kennedy Center. It's a jazz piano Christmas from NPR Music. Tonight at 11. Find out who makes the best chocolate in Europe. The Belgians eat mass quantities of delicious. Eat something special, whatever you're celebrating. You know, if there's food and presents and friends or family, who cares? Discover who brings the presents on Christmas Eve in Prague. While you are eating your Christmas dinner, 
in the other room. He's bringing the presents. And try out the holidays overseas on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Kimberly Oshita, registered dietitian at Kaiser Permanente. And we've got Vivian Aronowitz on the line from the Big Island, also a registered dietitian, Kaiser Permanente. And we're talking today about how we can really improve our diet, make some small changes that could have a big difference by the end of the year. Right before the break, we talked about ways that people with diabetes can still eat starches and not feel like it's going to throw off their blood sugar and why we need to feed those good bacteria in our bodies, because that could be the key to keeping our gut healthy, which could actually be the key to keeping us healthy as well. Now, there are some common conditions that I often hear about, and very often people don't have the opportunity to see a dietitian. Now, at Kaiser, I know people can self-refer. They can come in and see you, any medical condition. There is no problem. But some of the things that I see for people who want to get more information and they just don't have that availability, mm-hmm. one of the big ones is cholesterol. Because mm. nobody wants to get stuck taking a lot of cholesterol medicine. Right. They kind of want to try to work on it through their diet first. If somebody came to see you, Kimberly, and they had high cholesterol, what would be some of the advice? What are some of the foods you would tell them to try and eliminate from their diet? So it always depends on what they're eating. Um, I'll have them just tell me about what their typical diet is. And then usually, so the cholesterol, it comes from animal sources. Um, and specifically also affecting cholesterol is the saturated fat, which mostly also comes from animal sources as well, with the exception of coconut oil and coconut milk. Um, and so I I kind of get a feel for how much of those foods they're eating. Um, also, while we're still talking about fiber, um, certain kinds of fiber, soluble fiber, which is in oats and beans, can also help to lower the cholesterol um, because it can help to bind to the cholesterol, take it out of the blood as well. So that's the theory of oatmeal in the morning or like Cheerios, you know, oats. That could be one of the ways you could reduce your cholesterol. Right. What about plant sterols? Vivian, do you know much about plant sterols? Yes, um, a little bit. There are some... Uh, margarines like um, Benacol and um, some other products where uh, they have been added. But, you know, again, when you eat whole foods, you're going to get um, these substances, and and that's really the best. Who wants to load up their day with a lot of margarine? (laughs) Yeah, that does seem kind of like the opposite (laughs) of what we should be doing. Quick, let's put some healthy margarine on all that. I, I, I see your point there. Okay, so, so try try not to necessarily load up on margarine. Get those sorts of things from natural sources, from plants. I just keep thinking of celery and carrots and things that might actually substitute for some of the foods that were making the cholesterol high to begin with. Exactly. All right, we've got a caller on the line. We have Susie on the line from Honolulu. Susie, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. What can um, we do for I you? I have a particularly interesting story. I fractured my back in three places with no incident five years ago. Oh, Just I'm had so my five-year anniversary, November 20th. Wow. Yeah. I was told by two orthopedic surgeons that uh, I would be getting three to four of these fractures a year with hundreds of bone spurs and scoliosis. I was in the hospital thinking that I was dying, could not bathe myself couldn't shower myself, couldn't walk, uh, was in excruciating pain, taking anywhere from 
10 to 20 pills a day. I also needed knee replacement surgery, have no cartilage, uh, two torn meniscuses, and bone on bone. So I had a cane in each car, and I couldn't stand for more than 20 minutes at a time, so I had a wheelchair. I um, was contemplating suicide, and I had rented a book from the library called The Kind Diet by Alicia Silverstone many, many times. I thought, okay, my problem is inflammatory, so what might I do? I will try plant-based. Within three weeks' time, I threw away all my medication. I not only have not had a back fracture in five years, I uh, don't have any knee pains anymore. I don't use my canes, my wheelchair. I work out seven days a week. Um, I'm not a light person, but I used to be 300 pounds. It changed my life so seriously. Uh, my doctors immediately said with my first blood blood draw, what have you done to change your diet? Your blood is like a teenager. I said, I'm plant-based. I have an integrated doctor who said 95% of all cancer, diabetes, and heart disease is stemmed from animal. So going without dairy and animal has been the most uh, vitalizing in. In, I, I'm like a completely different person. I'm 62 years of age. Um, I've, now I know what I was put on this earth for is to help people change their diets, to change their lifestyles. Um, my life is just unbelievably great. Uh, and and I also lost 90% of my chronic pain along with not getting knee replacements and not having a back fracture in five years. I still have all the same conditions. Uh, it just, it was, it was really, truly miraculous. And it can happen for everybody. And anybody that goes plant-based can get off of their medications. They just need a little bit of exercise. Um, I'm no lightweight. You know, I'm a size 14 to a 16, so I'm not a skinny person. It has just really been, I've, it's just seriously the best thing that I've ever done in my life. And now it's my life's work is to help other people. Wow, Susie, that's amazing. So you had, seriously, all of those medical conditions. What was your diet like before you went plant-based? I mean, because it um, sounds like that was so dramatic. Lightly holistic. However, um, I love my meat raw and my cheese smelly, and I am a food addict, and I have always had some serious weight issues. So I like everything that's really naughty. I try to incorporate good things and good healthy things and I've always exercised since my 20s however you know all the chronic pain and all of the inflammatory things caught up with me and I was literally just non-ambulatory and and even taking all of the medications it really did not help the chronic pain and I still could not operate on my own steam so I knew I was going to not be able to live in my own home. What would you tell somebody who says, I don't think I could do it, it just yeah, seems too restrictive? Uh, that's the first thing that people tell me when I say that I'm a vegan, is that I could never do that. Well, that was me. That was exactly what I said, too. But faced with going to a long-term care facility and chronic pain and not having a life left. You can do anything. You can do anything. And I will say that my husband has a fishing boat. 
and whenever he brings in a really great catch, I do eat fish because fish is the only non-inflammatory animal on the planet. And I will eat raw fish, cooked fish. Um, you know, I try to avoid any kind of deep fried food, but, you know, it's not, I don't always win my food problems. Um, but I'd say my diet is 95% plant-based and 5% fish, but it's fresh off of our boat, so I'm very lucky that way. But anybody can get out of chronic pain. Anybody can get off of their medications, particularly people with heart disease and type 2 diabetes. You can reverse type 2 diabetes within three weeks of changing your diet. You can get off all of your meds, never, um, never have any sign of diabetes again if you just incorporate it. And I'll tell you, I was, I was so scared for the first few weeks of changing my diet like I say, it was an experiment, that I literally took Alicia Silverstone's advice, and it's literally beans, greens, and grains. So because I was, you know, didn't want to really work too hard at it, um, you can literally steam a green. I go to the farmer's market twice a week, so it's choy sum, bok choy, tot soy, um, you know, any of the dark leafy greens. You can steam those in three minutes, squeeze them, chop them up, I freeze my brown rice balls. They're in the freezer. Um, I, I cook them in 50 seconds in the microwave and then just add the greens. And a, a, you can open up a can of beans, rinse them, plop them in there, greens, beans, and grains, put some kimchi in there, and that's a really healthy meal that you can get with, within 10 minutes. So if you want to do an experiment, it can be quick and dirty, and your meals can all be under 10 minutes. But Fantastic, I would say anybody Susan. facing some serious health problems, uh, go on a fruits and vegetables diet. Um, just fruits and vegetables, no other foods if they want to lose weight, if they want to reduce their risk or whatever the ail is ailing them. Also, I had never juiced in my life. I tore my other meniscus that I had torn my right one 15 years ago. I tore my left meniscus and I thought, oh my gosh, I can't walk. What do I do? I'm already a vegan. I juiced for 60 days. Within 28 days, I can't even tell that I tore my meniscus. And then another time I was working for, oh, six months on my feet. I got serious plantar fasciitis. I did all the therapies, the icing, the stretching, everything. I still could not put weight on it. It was looking like surgery. I juiced for 30 days. It was gone. It never came back. So Fantastic, Susie. Really it taught me that you can face pretty much anything in your life if you're willing to just put the work in. And really, it is. I'm quick and dirty. I am not going to spend time in the kitchen, but there's just certain things that I do to make life easier. Great. Well, and I think a lot of what you described is drastic changes in your diet with a huge amount of motivation. And I think that's really the key, is that often if somebody doesn't yet have that motivation, it's really hard to make these changes. Now, as with anybody making dramatic dietary changes, do always work with your primary care provider or whomever you see for your chronic illnesses because you want to work with them to adjust your medications. You do want to have someone who will work with you because you're right. If you stop eating a lot of the things that are causing your sugars to go up, they're not going to stay up and you want to be able to bring them down in a way that's as safe as possible. Now, Kimberly, I'm curious, for someone like Susie, she had such a dramatic major life event 
that led her to drastically alter her diet, change her life from a nutrition perspective, and that led to changes in her physical health and how she felt. Do you see people who make the same sort of dramatic changes or are more the people that you see, the folks who kind of need to take it step by step? I think in the end, if you do a really good focus on plants and plant-based diet, you may be able to achieve the same results. Maybe not as quickly, maybe not under such, it sounds like Susie had a lot of duress to have to do this. Who do you see more of, the dramatic alters or the people who do step-by-step? So definitely the people who um, are doing more step-by-step. So don't feel bad if you can't be dramatic because you could go ahead and you could go step-by-step. Right. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a great story, and um, I wish all of my patients were that motivated. But um, step-by-step can work, too, because sometimes— So don't give up hope. Right. Sometimes it's brown rice instead of white rice. And then we go from there, build some rapport, and then later it's thinking about adding in more vegetables. Well, I love the idea that Susie brought up of, you know, it's quick, it's easy. I can just get my, you know, frozen brown rice ball— from where from the freezer, put it in the microwave. That's the convenience factor, I think, right. has a lot to do with some of the dietary choices that you make. Now I'm curious, Vivian, we had a we had a shy caller who wanted to know something. You mentioned fermented foods. Does bitter melon help people who have sugar troubles? Uh, yes, bitter melon is one of those vegetables that um, is helpful for diabetes. There's several. So Whenever I have uh, patients who are Filipino, because they tend to be more used to eating better melon, for a lot of people it does taste very bitter, um, I really encourage them to, to, to eat that. And then there's um, also the cactus leaf, um, nopales, uh, is known as in, in Mexican cuisine, has um, a similar effect. It's also very beneficial. You know, and I have to say, I heard something a while ago that had something to do with sour poi. That if you had sour poi versus sweet poi, the sour kind of acted like you're describing the bitter melon. That it had some kind of property to it that made it much healthier for the body. Right. Well, again, you're increasing the bacteria load, the positive bacteria load. It, it becomes a fermented product. And so some of the sugars will be broken down by the bacteria, and, uh, and so you're, you're going to have the beneficial effects of, of, of those bacteria and changing the composition of the food. Excellent. Interesting. So that there are some ways that you can actually have foods that, that are made and or brought to a certain level like you said, fermented or bitter melon, or even just some of the foods that people do ferment, kimchi, etc., that actually can have a beneficial effect on the body. Okay. Now, we just have a few quick minutes. Kimberly, a high blood pressure, lots of people got it. What should they be mindful of? I talked to someone in the office the other day. They said to me, I don't have salt. I just put shoyu on everything. And I went, isn't that the same thing? So right. tell me about... Blood pressure, lots of people have troubles. What could be something that they could watch in their diet that would help them? What are some of the other things? Everybody heard about salt, but what else is salty that we don't realize we're putting in our food? So I'd put shoyu on there. Salt is anything that will have sodium in it, which includes even some bread products that people might not realize. When you look on the label, look at the sodium, you see that they put sodium in there. Um, another thing, it's 
um, drinks. Sometimes they'll put sodium in drinks, soft drinks. Um, and then, of course, all the seasonings that taste salty. Yeah, right before the show, I was talking to someone about, you know, stovetop stuffing is so delicious. There's way too much salt in it. There's absolutely no nutritional value, and I love it. So, like, the super salt, why do we crave it so much? We love it. I love the salt. Even my cat likes to lick my hands when there's salt on them. Why do I like it so much? Um, The thing about a lot of... So salt is also in a lot of processed foods in general, as sugar. Um, and these things, because they affect our taste, we have taste receptors to these things, it can also t- change our taste perceptions, meaning that when, if we're used to eating really sweet things or really salty things, if we eat something that's pretty salty, um, it might not taste as salty to us as it might somebody who hardly ever uses any s- sodium or salt on their foods. So really watch, watch the salt. Right. Mm-hmm. If you have high blood pressure and it's starting to affect your kidneys, mm, okay. what can you do then? So for high blood pressure, um, well, ideally it's a little bit late, but um, still, I would still limit the salt for those okay. people. Never too late. <laughs> but ideally, I would try to get to the people before they start having problems to encourage the whole prevention, even with things like cholesterol, because the numbers that come back, the lab numbers that you get when you get your blood test, um, it's an indication of a risk factor. But still, some people with normal lab numbers can still have chest pains and things like that. 